Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On May 17th, 10 storytellers shared their stories with our audience for our virtual slam. The theme for our May Story Slam was chaos. We heard stories about dealing with children, facing wild animals, and septic troubles. In the end, our winner was Randall Author with his story about piquing the imaginations of a class of second graders. So, students go to school to learn. Teachers go to school to teach. And student teachers go to school to teach and learn. Now, sometimes there's an unequal balance. This was one of those days. I was, you get two student teaching experiences out of three, either elementary school, middle school, or high school. It's sort of like um, doctors do different rotations in their residencies so they can learn what they like. My first experience was in an elementary school, and two words, second graders. I had about three weeks to watch the teacher, uh, the, I'm an art teacher, to, to do her magic and see how she choreographed each lesson. And I was getting more and more excited because my first time that I would teach them would be observed by someone from my college. And so I had to do everything just right. And I decided I would do something on undersea creatures. So I went through a pile of National Geographics, ripping out every picture of fish and, and shrimp and shark and octopus. I found everything undersea and I cut it out nicely and glued it to cardboard. And the night before my observation, I hung it all from the ceiling with blue and brown and purple yarn, and I made this whole classroom look like an undersea world. And I turned the lights down, and I waited in the hallway, and all the second graders came. And if you can rely on anything with second graders, it's their imagination. So I stood out in the hallway, and I said, okay, I have to tell you, Last night, I filled the classroom with water, and I put sharks and eels, I put crawdads and crayfish and lobster and clams, I filled it with every undersea creature you can imagine. Now we have to put on our undersea gear, and there's a force field right at the door, and you can walk through it when I say the magic words and you're gonna go into this undersea world. I wasn't prepared for what would happen next. <laughs> the first few students walked in and they saw a shark. Ah! They started running. Other kids came in and they started laying on the floor and squishing themselves across the floor. There's eels over here and they started running back and forth and I had no control. And I'm looking in the back of the room at the person who's observing me and I'm thinking, this is my demise. This is the end of my career before it even starts. And the kids are just getting louder and crazier. They run into each other. They're running from one side of the room to the other, screaming shark and octopus. And I have no idea what to do next. 
I'm just, I'm agitated. And, and then I do what anyone would do. I raised my voice a little bit, and I said, I'm sorry. And the kids kind of glanced at me, and I said, I forgot to put air in your tanks. And all at once, they're holding their mouths. They're starting to turn red. No noise, but they're holding their... I said, but if you go back to your tables quietly, I have air hoses there that you can breathe through. And so they all started going back to their seats and they took the fictitious air hoses and that probably didn't look very good with the observer. (laughs) And then I had them, I pulled out my questioning strategies and asked, what did you see? And the kids one at a time described the different creatures and then we talked about the different patterns that are on them and I took out paper and we drew and I made it to becoming a teacher. (laughs) Randall earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up, we have Mina Edmondson with her story of a time she played a softball game while her children entertained themselves on the adjacent playground. It was a beautiful late spring day, much like the one we just experienced. The sun was shining, a light breeze was blowing, and the children were playing on the playground up over the hill. You could hear the noise of children laughing, and there was birds tweeting. But this playground, even though it was the 90s, was a classic 1960s playground. If you have any idea what I'm talking about. The swing set has the chain swings to hang on, and the seats are wooden. And the goal of every child is to see if you can swing up higher than the top of the swing set and come back down. And once you reach that height, you jump off and see how far you can fly onto the hard packed dirt that may have 20 years ago had some kind of mulch on it, but now the only thing that's at the top of it is the rocks that have seeped up through the dirt. If that's not exciting enough, there's the merry-go-round that you sit on and you hold on as tight as you can as you friends spin it as quickly as they can. And the goal is to hold on so that you're not the first one that flies off the merry-go-round into the hard-packed dirt. But the best part of this playground was the 30-foot-high sliding board, metal, steel, sitting in the sun all day. You touch it, your sizzle. It's one of those with the extra hump in the middle. It's been sitting on the top of this hill so long that the ground underneath has eroded, and the bottom of the slide is now about four feet off the ground. So when you go down the sliding board, you obviously are going to fly off the edge, and the way it was sitting, you also fly down the hill. 
This was a wonderful playground, and the kids were sent up there to play because the adults were playing softball. This was a women's church softball league. Somehow they convinced me that I could play. I always played left out as a kid when we played ball, but I was now the second baseman. The only reason I got second base is I could catch, and that's as far as I could throw, is if I'm at second base, I can do an underhand like the third base or the first base, and I was good. Well, it's about the second inning of the game, and we had started the game short a couple of players. The other team had 12 players show up. We only had eight players show up to play, so we were almost at forfeit level. But we were playing, and I'm sorry, these women were intense. The winning of a softball game was more important than graduating from college or you know anything you could think of. The result of this game was the most important thing in the world. Well, I am standing there out in the field, you know, go, go pitcher, come on, put it in there, put it in there, waiting for the batter to hit the ball to me so I wouldn't have to run. And all of a sudden I hear someone yelling, get that kid off the field, get that kid off the field. And I turn around and of course, <laughs> that kid is one of my kids. And that kid is coming down the hill into center field, kind of walking like this. And their siblings are coming along behind her, screaming. And as the closer they get, the noise is getting louder and louder and louder of the screaming. But more important, the noise of these grown women that are upset because this child is in the field is getting louder and louder. Well, I go out into the middle of center field to check on why these kids are coming through the middle of the field. My middle daughter has a knot on her head about four inches thick and is not really well understanding what's going on. She's a little bit weak in the knees and in the head, and it's like, oh my God, I have got to get her to a hospital right away. So my ball, my glove is still laying in the field, and I pick up my child, and I tell my other kids, come on, they're all screaming still, the children. The adults are screaming louder because I can't leave because if I leave, we will forfeit the freaking game. What do you mean I can't leave? My kid is hurt, I have to go. These women were as if we were at the apocalypse and the world was going to end if I left that game that day. Well, you know what? I don't give up hoot what they thought at that moment. My child was more important. So I gather my children as I'm being yelled at. You, of course, the cars are parked a half a mile away from the field. So I'm gathering my children and we're going in to get them in the car and I get them all buckled in and start the car. 
the noise inside of my car, the level of screaming and yelling and chaos, just about overcomes the noise from the women screaming and yelling and the chaos as I drove away from that softball game. And I never played another game in that league. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. It's not that important. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Phil Broder, who told a story about some of his home ownership experiences from the last few years. Let me start by answering the two obvious questions. Yes, we had a home inspection. And no, to our knowledge, my house is not built on a native burial ground. We bought our house February 1st, 2018. Had the home inspection. Passed with reasonably flying colors. And you know, chaos is really the absence of order. And for most people, their house is somewhat orderly. I mean, even Corey's house is probably somewhat orderly. <laughs> your house, you know, when things are going bad, you say, oh, I want to go home, because that's where your order is. Our house was orderly. And on February 10th, 10 days after we closed down the house, I was carrying boxes up the staircase when I saw a little blister of paint on the wall. And I should have known better than to disturb the order, but I poked that blister and water came jetting out, and then the ceiling collapsed. Water pouring through the heating unit mounted in the ceiling, we had a basketball-sized hole in the roof. In the dictionary next to incredulous is a picture of my insurance agent saying, you've had the house less than two weeks? And it's a $13,000 claim, but we got a new roof. We didn't have heat that winter upstairs, but you know, plastic sheeting adds a lot of order to a home. We had a lot of plastic sheeting, not much drywall. Things were off to a good start in our house. And four months after that, we decided to fence in our acre, an $8,000 fence to contain a $35 dog. Sarah understands. Five days after the fence went up, a tree came down, crushed 16 feet of that fence. That was my second insurance claim. And soon after, it would come another tree down on another section of the fence. That was my third insurance claim. There have been other trees fallen on my property. They did not hit anything. No insurance claims on those. So things are going pretty swimmingly. And that's really as much chaos as I figured there can be in one house. Until the day about a year ago when we were doing some laundry, my wife was doing dishes, I flushed the toilet, and sewage came out of every hole on the first floor. <laughs> the plumbers determined, and, and I should go back and mention that there was a brand new septic tank installed the day before we closed on the sale. That was part of the condition of sale, new septic tank. The new septic tank has settled and disconnected itself from the sewer pipe exiting the house. And the only way to reconnect it and fix it is to dig up 30 feet of concrete patio, which we did. Got the pipe fixed, reconnected the septic tank, repaved the patio just in time for Thanksgiving last year. I was thankful for my insurance agent. He was not thankful for me. 
<laughs> a month after that, we got some new heating and air conditioning installed in the kitchen. You know, house is warm, everything's toasty, there's so much order, life is good. So I should have known not to poke things again because we noticed that every time you took a shower, the toilet went blub, blub, blub. Never doubt the ability of a, well, not just one, but a team of plumbers to add to the chaos of a situation because that blub, blub, blub soon turned into, we have to clear the vent and oops, the snake punctured a different pipe, and now there's water pouring down from the second floor through the brand new heating and air conditioning unit that we had just paid $15,000 to install, water running down into the first floor. It's all good, really it is. Um, the team of plumbers determined that my house doesn't have one sewer line exiting the house. No, it has two, one for each floor. No other house that you will ever hear of has two sewer lines. We also have a secret electrical panel, but that's another story. <laughs> the second sewer line, once they dug up another 30 feet of concrete, six feet over from the first 30 feet of concrete that they had already dug up, once we dug that concrete up, we determined that that second sewer line had never been reconnected to the septic tank. Consider that for a moment. First thing the plumber said was, you know, you got terracotta pipe, you got PVC pipe, you got steel pipe, cast iron pipe, some kind of pipe called Orangeburg. It's like, diversity's a good thing. Not in plumbing. So I thought about this for a moment and asked the plumber, that sewer line was never connected to the septic tank. Where has everything that we have flushed for the last four and a quarter years gone? And wordlessly, he just went. <sighs> so when I say that, you know, I don't want to go home, you understand because in my home right now, it looks like I'm losing a game of Jumanji. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return in November to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our upcoming events and tickets for purchase are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, at YorkStorySlam as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. <laughs>